uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. It is officially Bedlam Week. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, you fired up for Bedlam. It's here. Uh, Carson, this is ritually the most exciting and disappointing week of the year. So what is not to be fired up about? It really is. Like, I was trying to think of an analogy. Like, it's it's almost like Christmas week, but at the end of Christmas, you don't get any presents. That's like the <laughs> best analogy I could come up with. Because, yeah, you're right. I am always excited so for it. I'm so excited for it. But I also know I've seen this movie before, and I know how it ends. <laughs> it doesn't. It yeah, the doesn't Christmas seem... analogy is great. It, it'd be like if you were a kid, and all week your parents told you that you might get presents, and then Christmas comes, and they're like, "Oh, sorry, nothing for you. Enjoy New Year's." Yeah, and you just kind of move on. That's that's what being an OSU fan is like on Bedlam week. The lump of coal is coming. It's in my stocking. I just have to open it. So that's that's typically what it's like. And I and I also think you know. Mike Gundy's two Bedlam wins came, or I guess one was for a Big 12 championship, obviously. But like the rest of the wins for OSU is when they were just terrible. Obviously, the Tyreek Hill year, the year down in Norman. 16-13, uh, Le- yeah. Yeah, Les's first year. I mean, most of the wins have come in like three, four touchdown underdog fashion, where obviously it was great that you won, but like you didn't even really go to a bowl game or win anything of consequence that year. So it's been kind of a strange happening that all the great teams tend to lose but the the overmatched ones tend to pop up and beat them yeah it's weird how that works I don't know if it's maybe it's just a mental thing maybe whenever Oklahoma State's favored they put too much pressure on themselves Uh, I think you could certainly make the case that Mike Gundy has maybe done that over the years but I don't know this week is I think just the right amount of expectations it's like we know that if Oklahoma State played really well they could beat Oklahoma but I, I don't think a lot of people are expecting Oklahoma State to win this game. But also, it's still a very meaningful game for both sides. Both sides likely need to win it to secure a, cha- a spot in the Big 12 championship game. So I think it's just the right amount of um, we're not really expecting Oklahoma State to win, but yet it's still a big game. Absolutely. And as we mentioned on last week's show, uh, since 2010, five times this game has either decided a Big 12 champion or decided who goes to the Big 12 championship. So once again, those type of implications are on the line. But before we get into it any further, let's get to uh, Chris's University Spirit uh, sponsors the podcast. You can go shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. And all day, every day, they do free standard shipping on orders over 50 bucks. So you don't have to worry about shipping if you're worried about that type of thing with online shopping. So go to chrisuniversityspirit.com and get your Holiday gifts knocked out soon. I mean, uh, Thanksgiving's rapidly approaching. I cannot believe it's almost Thanksgiving. It feels like March was just a few weeks ago when the, the, the entire country and world shut down with COVID. So get your shopping done early. Holiday season is upon us and Bedlam is upon us. Colby, let's get to the first five. Number one, the point spread is out. I've seen it listed at several different things. It opened, the first number I saw was Oklahoma minus 10. I think it's settled around more seven and a half to eight. Is that what you're you're reading as well? I actually just refreshed Bavada, and currently the line is seven, and it's actually juiced just slightly in Oklahoma State's favor. Oklahoma State's minus one fifteen as a seven point dog. OU is minus uh, seven and minus one oh five on the number. So for those of you familiar with betting terms, that means the line is seven, but you're getting slightly better uh, odds to bet Oklahoma minus the seven actually 
which could indicate a move down to six and a half, which would actually surprise me a little bit if it got under a touchdown. And that would be smart money making it move that much, correct? Yeah, you would think that that would be smart money to make it move down that way. So I think that what most people are expecting is a, a close game just because we're not expecting the fireworks, the 100-point game that we usually get uh, out of Bedlam. I think people are expecting much more of a 27-24 type game, which is not what we're used to seeing in this contest. Absolutely. I think that's totally accurate. Uh, I, I think you and I speculated it would be 10, so that's it comes in under that. And to your point about it being a much closer, lower scoring game, I think Barry Trammell wrote a really good column about this in the Oklahoman on, you can go to newsok.com and read it. He makes a great point. In 2017, Bedlam, Mason Rudolph passed for 448 yards and he was 150 yards shy of being the game's leading passer. <laughs> uh, Justice Hill ran for 228 yards and he did not have the most uh, yards from scrimmage in that game. Carson, just just out of curiosity, how many carries did Justice Hill get on that uh, drive where they needed to go down and win the game? Zero. Oh, okay. I just want to make sure it was still zero. Just want to make sure I hadn't lost track. Is that right? I, I didn't remember. I was guessing. Oh, oh, it absolutely was zero. For three <laughs> years, I've been on this train of Oklahoma State got the ball back with three minutes left, needing one score. They had a 230-yard rusher and didn't hand him the ball. Oh, that's right. Wow. Yeah. That might, that's like a low-key – low point for your sitch that, 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 that one went under the radar 100 percent. i remember they threw I remember it to tyron too <laughs> i remember shredding both mics the monday after that bedlam <laughs> for not giving it to justice hill at all on the drive where you could go win the game yeah that that's uh that's pretty egregious because he was the best player on that field and there was a lot of nfl dudes on that field and osu scored 52 and lost by 10 so that that was uh that was crazy so again it's going to be much more defensive, Colby, because obviously Oklahoma State's defense, we've talked a lot about it. They're the best in the Big 12. They're one of the best nationally, but Oklahoma is too. I mean, they they gave up huge leads against Kansas State, against Texas, but since that overtime in Texas, Colby, they're playing the best defense they've played since probably 2015. They led the Big 12 in, in total defense. They weren't great, but they were the best of, of a bad bunch that year in the Big 12. But as far as their defensive line, they're playing as well as they have in, in a decade. So I do think this could be a much, much more lower, lower scoring game. O Oklahoma State's defense has held teams below 20 points in five of six games. So it, it really is kind of a bizarro bedlam in that both defenses are playing, frankly, better than their offenses. I even include Oklahoma in that. Oklahoma scored against Kansas and Tech. But they didn't play very well against Kansas, and they struggled with turnovers against Texas. And I'm not willing to say that they're anywhere close to vintage Oklahoma offensively. Yeah, I think one thing OU falls into is the stereotype of being such a bad defense because we've heard it year after year after year. And then they go out against Kansas State and Iowa State, and they lose a couple games earlier in the season, and they give up some points to Texas. But you have to remember, there were some careless turnovers in those games. And, and yes, the tackling was poor against Iowa State. I'll give you that. Uh, the big plays from Kansas State in the second half were kind of fluky. I think on the whole, uh, you know, once Oklahoma's gotten right over this last month or so, I think they've been playing really good defense. And I think Alex Grinch is recruiting a better brand of athlete on that side of the ball. And I think we see that with Perry and Winfrey, with Ronnie Perkins, with Nick Benito, with some of these younger guys, Woody Washington, Jaden Davis, some of these younger guys out on the corners. I think we see a better caliber of athlete 
um, from Oklahoma on that side of the ball. And I do think that their defense has improved drastically since they made the change away from Mike Stoops. I just think once or twice a year, they still have that game where everything goes wrong on that side of the ball. So then we all stereotype them for a whole nother season that they're the same OU that they were defensively in 2016, 2017. And I don't think that they are. So I think we have to be careful just assuming that because it's OU, they're going to be terrible defensively because I actually think they're better than people give them credit for. They are, especially up front. Now, as great as they've been over the last few weeks and as stout as they look on the defensive line, I, I'm not sitting here willing to say that, that Spencer Sanders can't exploit that secondary. I mean, they still have Brennan Radley-Hiles playing for them, who to me is a complete liability for Oklahoma. The, the guy makes nothing but penalties, uh, gets burnt 90% of the time he's thrown his way. If they don't target him specifically, they've had two weeks to prepare if they don't try to get Buki in open space, either against a Jelani Woods or frankly anyone, <laughs> if they don't just, seriously just go one-on-one -on -one with him, like Iowa State did. Iowa State was singling him out at the end of that game, saying, where's 44? We're throwing it his way. If they don't just start attacking him from the jump, I think that's, that's, that's poor coaching because he's shown that he is a complete liability both with penalties and in coverage. Yeah, I'll be really curious to see what OU does with Tylen because, I mean, you've got options with Tylen. You can try to stick one of your most athletic guys on him and go one-on-one. -on -one. That's what Texas tried to do. Obviously, that didn't work, but Texas was able to completely eliminate Oklahoma State's running game for most of the day by doing that. Or you can slide a safety over to that side. You can basically, basically double Tylen on every play and make somebody else beat you. Now, what you can't have is Tylen hurt because if he's not out there, we saw what Kansas State did defensively they didn't really have to worry about any of the receivers they were able to mostly shut down Oklahoma State's run game without having to shade a safety to a star receiver with no Tylen on the field um, and I expect him to be healthy since he was suited up in Manhattan and just couldn't go a couple of weeks ago I think the bye obviously was a good thing but I I think what OU does and how they decide to defend Tylen is really going to dictate how Oklahoma State uh, is able to move the ball and what kind of plays they're able to call because if they go one-on-one -on -one with Tylen, you're just going to him the entire day. If they don't, if they double him on every play, all of a sudden now you maybe have to run the ball a little bit more and somebody else on that receiving core has to step up and be a playmaker. Exactly. And I, I think Oklahoma realizes they can probably stop the run with their defensive front. If they were smart, I think they would do what they did against James Washington in I think it was 2016 in Norman. They were playing a really high safety over the top to his side. That's what I would do. I think that's the only way to even stop Tywin is to, to play the high safety on his side, shadow him with two guys, and just let someone else beat you. Because I don't think Chuba Hubbard in the running game has proven they can beat you. I certainly don't think any other receiver at Oklahoma State has, has proven they can do that in terms of, you know, where the, where the playmaking, where's the playmaking been? You've had really one great moment from Braden Johnson, and that's that's – really about it in terms of another receiver for OSU. So if I'm Oklahoma, that's what I'm doing. But I'm but I'm with you, Colby. I think they have to just force feed Tywin. That's going to open things up. And I think Tywin, even if they have a high safety on him, I think he's going to go up and get the ball over Oklahoma's guys. We've seen that time and time again in Bedlam. I mean, Tyron Johnson, you'll remember Randy Mossing, Trey Norwood throwing up the X in Norman and Bedlam. So I don't know. I, I just when, the more I look at this game, Colby, the more I'm concerned about one, two, maybe three yards in a cloud of dust every time they run the ball and getting into obvious passing downs when that defensive line can just tee off on Spencer Sanders. That 
that's what I keep envisioning in my head. And that's why I'm, I, I'm really concerned about the matchup on the, on that side of the football. Yeah. And look, this isn't some sort of genius take that I'm coming up with here. You're going to hear this throughout the week from just about everybody, but Oklahoma state's offensive line is going to be at a disadvantage every time they step on the field with the injuries. Some of the guys that have had to rotate in and rotate to different positions. We saw Josh Sills have to be moved to left tackle um, and just pretty much got worn out against Kansas state by uh, Hubert coming off the, the right end of the line there. And I just, man, if, if Oklahoma state, like you say, gets in obvious passing downs, do we trust the passing protection to even give Spencer enough time? And, and this goes back to what I was saying last Friday. I don't trust the offensive line to give him enough time. So in that situation, I think that you have to move the pocket. You've got to get him with a run pass option on the edge where he can either tuck it and go if there's some room or he's – I just don't think standing still and hoping that he's got three seconds to throw the ball is a winning strategy. No. And as you were laying out that, that scenario, it was just kind of scary to think about just the fact that Oklahoma having a chance to know it's a passing down and teeing off on Spencer Sanders. That just, that just sounds like disaster. So I, I do think you've had two weeks. We're going to see what Casey Dunn's made of here. He has a huge challenge in, in front of him because of that offensive line that you mentioned. And look, I, I get it. Like they've lost six guys two two to transfer forward injury seven if you count Tevin Jenkins, who was banged up against uh, Kansas State. There's not a program in the country that could sustain an offense losing six offensive linemen. There's just not. So I, I totally understand the challenge that's in front of them. It's it's not their fault that they're not scoring uh, points like, like they used to. Did you know they only have 11 touchdowns uh, against teams not named Kansas this year? 11 uh, offensive touchdowns. That – boy, that stinks. Which is crazy. So I, I think – what you mentioned off the top about them needing to be creative, Mike Gunny needing to be aggressive. I do not think it's a fluke that the times they've beaten Oklahoma, they've come as a three and four touchdown underdog. I mean, I, I, obviously in 2011, they, they beat the brakes off Oklahoma. But if you'll remember, that was the only game in which Brandon Whedon didn't have a touchdown pass. They were pretty conservative in that game. They were just so much better. They ran it down their throat with a, uh, Joe Randall and, and Jeremy Smith, you'll remember scoring all the touchdowns that day in, in Stillwater. So I need to see them open it up. I think that that's how they've had success in 2018 with Cornelius, 2017 with Mason Rudolph. I will give Mike Gundy credit. He was aggressive in those games. Uh, last year, they didn't have much of a chance. that They were completely overmatched with Jalen Hurts and, and that offense. And they were down to Drew Brown, who is not Spencer Sanders. So I want to see some creativity. You've had two weeks to open things up. Like I loved what you mentioned about moving the pocket. I think that's, I think that's frankly where Spencer's more comfortable and it gets him out of harm's way somewhat, but make no mistake. Spencer's got to play out of his mind. And I think Casey Dunn and them have to get very creative and, and just be aggressive. Like if, if, if you're just running it off tackle and punting and you lose by three touchdowns, that's much more tougher to swallow for OSU fans than going four and five wide, going full air raid, just trying to be, do st show something you haven't shown on tape all, all season. That's what I want to see. Yeah, I think one thing you said there is Spencer Sanders is going to have to play our, probably the best game of his career to this point for Oklahoma State to win this game. And, I, I mean, if you want to be the guy and, and you want to be the guy on a team that you think can win a Big 12 championship and can maybe have an outside chance to make the college football playoff – I think you've got to rise to the occasion. And I don't know if he will. I don't know if he won't. But that's what Oklahoma State needs because, 
quite frankly, with the offensive line the way it is, how do, how do you get around that? You get around that the way Cliff Kingsbury is in Arizona. You have a quarterback who can get away from it himself and make a ton of plays. Now, I'm not saying Spencer Sanders is Kyler Murray. There are very few, if anybody, who is Kyler Murray. But Spencer is going to have to make plays and not turn the ball over. And that's something that we've only seen a couple of times from him in his career at Oklahoma State. So I, I don't know what – if we're asking Spencer to do a lot, and I think I am this game, I'm asking him to be a serious playmaker. I'm asking him to drop back 40 times and kind of putting the offense on his shoulders. What's an acceptable level of turnovers? One, two, obviously if it snowballs, you turn it over three or four times, you're going to lose. But also if we're asking him to make a play on, you know, 70% of the offensive snaps, I don't think it's reasonable to ask him to do that much and expect him to not turn it over one time the entire game. Yeah, I think I think one interception, two maybe is is perfectly fine. What you can't do is fumble in the pocket. Agree. And have the defensive line either pick it up or put them in really much more advantageous. You know, if you throw an interception, you're at least getting it 15, 20, 30 yards down the field to where the the field position isn't just massively shifted. So I I'm with you there and I think what he has to do, Colby, he has to rush for 100 yards. And, that, and that's yeah. a lot of that is design plays. But I'm telling him, when you drop back to pass and there's nothing, take off. Because Oklahoma has been gashed by the quarterback run game. All you got to do is go back to the Texas game where Sam Ellinger just went nuclear running the football. And it wasn't a lot of him just running through tackles either. He was, he was untouched a lot because they, they really struggle with the quarterback run game. And it's tough for any defense to, to, to stop, really. So I think he needs to run for 100 yards. And obviously, he needs to play his best game. And you, you mentioned that. What, what is his best game at Oklahoma State? What, you mentioned it. I mean, he's turned the ball over virtually in every game he's played. The, off the top of my head, I mean, the Texas game was looking like the best game he's ever played until he just lost his mind with the turnovers. Uh, I, I think it's that game in Austin, which was his first, I believe, Big 12 game of his career. He looked like Russell Wilson in that game. And he, he did throw an interception in that game as well. But he, I thought he was the reason OSU was even in that game offensively because it was very similar. They couldn't run the football. He was running around, making plays, throwing deep balls to Braden Johnson and Tylen Wallace. That's kind of the blueprint for me is uh, kind of that game he had in Austin is probably his best game. Yeah, and this is going to sound bad because it was the first start of his career and the opponent wasn't great, but I don't know that he's looked as good as he looked against Oregon State since. Ooh, that's probably his best game. Good call. He looked so good against Oregon State, and I mean, that was his first start. He came out, he's throwing those deep out routes on a dime, doesn't turn the ball over. Looks he looked crazy. awesome in that game. <laughs> oh my God, I watched that game and I'm thinking to myself, the see, I mean, the, the, the sky is the limit. With this guy, as MJ would say, the ceiling is the roof. I mean, where are we going <laughs> with, with Spencer Sanders? And I don't think he's had as clean of a game where he was as good of a playmaker as as he did in his first career start. That game even furthered my point in that moment about why wasn't this guy playing last year? Why did you play a redshirt senior walk on the entire oh, I remember season? your tweets from that night. You were it's on like, Twitter going crazy about him like, being on the bench for a whole year. Oh uh, yeah. Like that was unbelievable. He looked like Kyler Murray in that game, but obviously the, the turnovers have, have come to roost and, and whatever else. So I think we're on the same page quick, there. Real quick, just to clarify kind of my turnover comment, what you said I think is important I can live with one or two turnovers if he is making a play and 
something, you know, OU makes a play or something like that. What you can't live with is, you know, you decide half a second too late to pull the ball out of Chuba's stomach, and now y'all fumble, and then Texas gets a free possession. Those are the ones you can't live with. The ones I can live with is if you're asking him to be a playmaker nearly every time he touches the ball, and he's trying to make a play, and in the process, something happens, and OU winds up with it. Those are the ones you can accept. But like you said, the silly, careless ones uh, are the ones that can't happen. Yeah, the interception against Texas where he just threw it, you know, to the sideline and, and the defensive back really had great coverage and, and made a play on the ball. It was a little behind. I believe it was Tylen that he was throwing to. Th- those are ones you can live with. That's just a, a great play by the Texas player. Ball could have been better from Spencer, but it's the one down near the goal line where he threw it to two Texas guys who dropped it that you just you just shake your head like, what what was that? What 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 are you doing? It's those you, you can't live with, and they're they're frankly not going to win if he if he makes decisions like that. So, again, I'm I'm curious to see their game plan because th- their hands are full uh, with with that offensive line and, and everything else. Do you think? Uh, I guess we can talk more OSU defense when we get to our our picks. But there was big news, Colby. Uh, college game day will be in Norman for the first time since 2012. Uh, it's the it's the most prominent game of the weekend. It's prime time on ABC. We'll have the post game show on KOCO5, so we get to hear from Gundy and and Riley after the game. Uh, you excited about college game day? Corso and the gang are going to be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm big on college game day. I actually, uh, real quick before we dive too much into it at Norman, did you see it at all? I, I watched zero of it Saturday at the Masters. I don't even know what it looked like. I watched the very end just for the picks. It looked great. They were down kind of by the, the pond for the par three. The set was incredible. And then <laughs> Corso had a giant Tiger Woods head and a giant Bryson DeChambeau <laughs> head and he picked Brooks Kepka and put on a Florida State helmet with a Nike hat on top of it yeah okay he did, did his cool. Seminole you know, he awesome. went to Florida State so he did his little tomahawk chop and everything else yeah, so. because I didn't watch times, a lot of it though the way the tea times worked out with the weather delay I actually set an alarm and woke up at like 6 15 Saturday morning to watch the the end of the second round with Tiger and those guys that were on the featured groups um so then after that i went right back to sleep until about 11 so i missed all of college game day but yeah i'm fired up for game day to be in norman i guess the first time in like eight years uh that it's been in norman so yeah i'm always down for game day like like i said i think it was last week oklahoma state not only needs to beat ou they need as many eyes on it as possible so i think that that bodes well for oklahoma state if they do win the game more people will be watching and will be invested. Yeah, it, it means a lot in terms of the coverage. I mean, they're going to do stories with with OU and OSU throughout the show. Obviously, they usually just breeze by OSU and make the pick of the game if they're playing Kansas State or, yeah. or West Virginia. So that's encouraging. I do feel like, though, Colby, that college game day used to be a far bigger deal. Like, maybe I'm just – Maybe I'm just an olds and think things were better in my day. <laughs> but, like, don't you think, like, when, when game day went to Stillwater in, like, 2004, like, I, I'm, I'm sure that was probably the first time, so it was a much bigger deal. But, like, there was, like, 20,000, 30,000 people outside the, the set just to see it. And, like, I went to Missouri one year when OU was up there. Like, it was just – I don't know. It, game day to me has lost a little bit of luster. Yeah. I, I think it's just the thing where – some things just get played out after a while. People get bored of everything. And yeah. I think maybe we've gotten bored of game day a little bit. We have also, it used to be the deal where we didn't have so many things to entertain us. Like in 2004, we didn't have iPhones in our hands. We didn't have Twitter that we were on all the time. We didn't have Netflix and Amazon and all these other things on our TV. For, for me, I wake up on Saturday morning 
And there's a whole slew of things that I do before I even think to turn on college game day. Whereas in 2004, I didn't have anything else going on a Saturday morning. So I would wake up, I'd fire up game day, I'd watch the whole show, and it would transition me right into a college football Saturday. I think game day, like a lot of things in our lives, has become just another thing that if we don't have anything going on, we'll turn it on. But usually we're just pulled in 100 different directions, so we don't pay that much attention to it. Yeah, that's a good point. And one more note to the Big 12 title game has officially moved for now until December 19th. Um, I guess Big 12 put out a, a deal for tickets, and they say the title game's on the 19th. It's supposed to be on the 12th, so we'll see if that affects uh, Oklahoma State. Obviously, they still need to play Baylor, and we'll have to wait and see if they actually play that game or or not, if they make the uh, Big 12 title game. So that's one more note before we get into uh, picks. Colby, we've we've talked a lot about the game so far. I want to kind of pose it to, to you this way. We're going to ask OU wins if if what happens and OSU wins if what happens. So OU wins if what, say you? OU wins if uh, they win the turnover battle. If Oklahoma State cannot win the turnover battle, they're not going to be able to beat Oklahoma. And it's something that we've seen with OU. They've really struggled. Um, you know, it's been better the last couple of weeks, but you saw earlier in the season against Kansas State and Iowa State when they lost those games, really struggled to get turnovers. Uh, and Spencer Rattler was a little careless with the ball. And that's why they lost those games. They take care of the ball. It doesn't happen. And I know that sounds a little bit simplistic. You know, that's why Oklahoma State lost to Texas, this, that and the other. But I really think that Oklahoma State being the underdog has to win the turnover battle or they will not win this game. Yeah, I mean, that's that's always critical in, in football games. Obviously, you win the turnover battle, you got a great chance to win. I, I agree. And I I think I think they can win it because of their defense. I think OSU's defense will keep them in this game. Don't you think they're going to get after Spencer Rattler? I, I know Jim Knowles has proven to be very aggressive. They've proven to be one of the best teams in the country at getting off the field on third down. Uh, the, when we break down Oklahoma State's offense against OU's defense, it sounds like a losing proposition. But when you break down OSU's defense against a Spencer Rattler, who's made some some big mistakes thus far this year, and he's played well at times, but he's played bad at times. I mean, he got benched against Texas. So I, I do think OSU's defense can get after him, force turnovers, and, and keep them in the ballgame. Yeah, I, I would say on the other side, Oklahoma State wins if they prevent Oklahoma from running the ball. I think if Oklahoma is able to line up and run the ball and, and win on first and second down, and now they're set up with third and two all day, I think you're going to have a problem. But early in the season, before Ramondre Stevenson came back again in that Kansas State and Iowa State game, oh, you really struggled to run the ball. Just effectively line up, hand it to your running back, and get yards. And like you mentioned last week, Ramondre Stevenson is lighting the world on fire, but he's lighting Texas Tech and Kansas on fire. So I think Oklahoma State wins if – they can stop OU from running the ball and force them to become a little bit one-dimensional because that's when you can peer, pin your ears back and force Spencer Rattler into some mistakes. That's the number one thing I'm watching on Saturday is OU's run game against Oklahoma State's defensive front because I, I'm with you. I, I said it last week. Texas Tech and Kansas are not OSU. And Oklahoma had big problems running the football this season when they played Kansas State and Iowa State. I know they didn't have Ramondre Stevenson, but they averaged less than four yards per carry every game until Ramondre came back against Texas Tech. So while I do think Stevenson boosts Oklahoma's running game, I don't think their offensive line is nearly as good as it's been the last three, four, five years. I mean, they've had an NFL offensive line the last three or four bedlams. I don't know if they can run it as well as they have in the previous two games. I really don't expect them to. 
I have a ton of respect for Stevenson. I do. I just that that's the very curious matchup, and that's one I'm I'm watching perhaps the most is can Oklahoma State because you're you're right if they can stop Oklahoma from running the football at will, that puts a lot of pressure on Spencer Rattler. Much in the same way that we think Spencer Sanders is gonna have a lot on his shoulders, that certainly puts a lot on Rattler's shoulders. Yeah, I think so too because Rattler. Look, I think Rattler's a stud. I, I told you earlier in the year if you're selling his stock, sell it to me because I want to buy it. But I do still think that we see a young player. He's not polished. He's not a three-year grad transfer who comes in with a lot of experience under his belt. This is a guy who's still learning the ins and outs of college football. He's still learning, you know, getting that clock in his head for some of these guys, some of these different pass rushes with the better teams in the conference. I mean, we saw against Texas the little boneheaded play he made where he just kind of got stuck in between a couple guys and flipped it up right to a defensive lineman. But I think you're only able to put him in those situations – if you can shut down OU's run game. Because if you don't shut down their run game, then they can kind of dictate what they want to do offensively. And then when Spencer Rattler drops back off play action, all of a sudden, now you're scrambling defensively and he gets to stand back there and be comfortable. So I I think, like you said, watch that early in the game. If we're halfway through the second quarter and Ramondre Stevenson has 12 carries for 111 yards, Oklahoma State's not going to win the game, probably not going to have a chance. But if we're halfway through the second quarter and Ramondre Stevenson has seven carries for 32 yards, I think maybe we might be in a good position. Absolutely. And I think the number one thing you need to do is collapse that pocket around Spencer Rattler because that's when he's made his worst decisions. When that pocket collapses around him, he gets happy feet and he loses sense of where he is. He's lost the football that you mentioned against Texas. And frankly, he just – he tends to kind of wilt to the pressure. And I think that's where Jim Knowles is really going to. I think Jim Knowles enters this game with the mindset of what he's done all season. But I also think he's willing to risk. I think he trusts Rodarius Williams on one side. I think he trusts Harvell Peel and Sterling on the back end. I think he's willing to put those guys on an island to go get Rattler. Because I think he knows that they have to make plays defensively to keep them in this game. So that, yeah, and that, I, that, I just, I've always thought defensively, I would rather die on a big play than death by a thousand paper cuts. And I think against a team like OU, that's more apparent than ever. I would rather put guys on an island outside and try to make the quarterback uncomfortable and force him into some mistakes than I would just play two high safeties all day, let them run it for six yards a pop. And then on third and two, they get a four yard gain and they just march down the field in 14 plays because that wears your defense down. It keeps your offense on the sideline. You don't get any time of possession. You don't get any rhythm. I would much rather take chances, go make Spencer Rattler uncomfortable. And if you give up an 80-yard touchdown once or twice throughout the day, that's fine as long as you make them miserable on the the other drives. Yeah, that's basically what happened against Texas, right? They only gave up, you know, yeah. a couple of big plays until obviously overtime when they get, they hit the ball in the 25. Well, so I'm, I'm with you there. Texas was getting the ball inside the Oklahoma State 25 regularly throughout the day. Anyway, so. <laughs> it didn't much matter. <laughs> You're right. Uh, OU wins. They the advantage in overtime. They were used to starting in the red zone. <laughs> exactly. They were certainly used to that. And they had their playbook ready for that. Uh, so for me, OU wins if, look, if Ramondre Stevenson, I'm fine with him running for 100 yards. But when he's come back, he's averaged eight yards per carry. If he averages eight yards per carry in this game, Oklahoma State's going to lose. And so if he gets to 100 yards with 30 carries, you live with that because that means you did a pretty good job in the running game as a whole. So he's at, he's had 25 carries, five touchdowns, and eight yards per carry since coming back. You have to limit the big running plays because you're right. That's what Lincoln Rally does so well 
people talk so much about his offense scoring all these points and you just envision Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray throwing deep passes. Well, a lot of those are on play action because they're so good at running the football. That's where everything starts. So if you make them one dimensional, if you hold Ramondre to five or even even six yards per carry, but more around that five number, your your chances of winning increases significantly. That's how I think uh, Oklahoma is going to win the game if, if he averages more than five, six yards per carry. Yeah. How do you feel just on the other side of the ball? How do you feel about Chuba coming in? I, I think that obviously he's had a down year compared to what he did a year ago when he led the nation in rushing. I think a lot of that is the fact that this offensive line is so beaten up that the holes just aren't there the way they were a year ago. Do, do you think he has a big game Saturday? Cause I don't feel like there's a lot of optimism around that. No, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he'll have the opportunity because the offensive line, I'm willing to give him a pass on that, but I will say this. I don't think he's looked like the same player this year. And what I've always said about Chuba is yes, he has, he has the track speed, but he's ran hard and tough throughout his career at Oklahoma state. I always said that he's like, he's not a track guy playing football. He's a football player that can run track. Cause I remember that Bedlam game in 2018 when he took over for an injured justice Hill, he was running through between the tackles, running over people, running through tackles, and he ran hard and tough. And I just haven't seen that this year. It seems as if he goes down at first contact. I don't have the like the next-gen stats, but I would be willing to bet this year versus last year, his yards after contact has to be way down. So I, I don't know. It's To me, it's I, I need to see it. I haven't seen it this year. I think L.D. Brown has ran way harder, way tougher, ran through way more contact than he has. And so yeah. if, if that's the case again on Saturday, Colby, I'm giving the ball to L.D. Brown. I really am. Yeah, and I, I can't say I would totally blame you for that. It's it's tough because, especially against Kansas State, Chuba was clearly not healthy. But then is Chuba going to be 100% this Saturday? I would imagine not. It looked like he had a pretty good ankle rolled in that Kansas State game. So I, I don't know if he's not 100%. Like you said, run, run out whoever's going to give you the best chance uh, to move the football. It, it might not be Chuba. It, it might not. So uh, that's a tough decision to make because I still think that a fully healthy Chuba behind a good offensive line is one of the best backs in the country. But if he's not fully healthy and we know he won't be behind a good offensive line, then maybe you put the guy out there who's got the hot hand. So I think that's a very, very fine line to walk for the coaching staff between making sure that Chuba, who, you know, can and is capable of being one of, if not your best players, gets his touches I think you have to make sure that that happens, but you also have to make sure that you don't blindly rely on him to be the guy he was last year if he's clearly not. Yeah, no doubt. I'm with you there. Uh, for me, OSU wins if they've held five of six opponents uh, less than 20 points. <laughs> I don't expect them to do that against Oklahoma, but if they hold them under 30, they can win the game. That, that to me, is the entire key. Now, I think that's going to take a couple of turnovers, I think that obviously is a big ask against Lincoln Riley and this team. And I, I do think one of my biggest concerns is what we saw against Texas in terms of just the athletic difference between facing an Oklahoma and a Texas versus a West Virginia or a Kansas. The, the level of athlete looked a lot different against Texas. And they were able to, to score down there on the, on the goal line with the running game because of that. Areas in which they've stopped other teams, they, they were not able to against Texas. I think a lot of it, which because of the athletic ability of those teams. So if they're able to hold Oklahoma under 30, they can win this game. And I think they can, Colby. Do you think I'm crazy? Who, under 30? 
I think they can. I look. I don't think I you're respect, crazy. I respect the running game. I just Spencer Rattler has has played really well at times. But you go back to the TCU game. Other than like two passes to Marvin Mims, they did virtually not vir- virtually nothing in the passing game. Virtually they didn't run for four yards per carry. Uh, so that that's a game that it was lackluster. The Kansas Kansas was within like 16 points of them for a long time, and they're late in the game. They did not play well offensively in that game. Uh, Texas, they got to 31 in the fourth quarter. Um, obviously, overtime things went crazy, but they haven't. This is not a vintage scare you to death death star offense that Oklahoma State's faced in recent years uh and it's really not and I think last year they had so much trouble with Jalen Hurts because he poses that such a run threat to where they they were virtually running the wishbone out of the spread offense Mike Gundy said that and it it ruffled people's feathers down in Norman but it was true I just don't see a vintage juggernaut offense I I think there's a real chance OSU could do it yeah I think I think the 30 is a good number I think they'll be right around it and then it depends on, obviously, if you give them good starting field position with a turnover or something like that. Um, assuming that you don't give them the field position that you gave Texas, I do think it's possible that you could hold them under 30. I don't think I would bet on it just because, man, I think Lincoln Riley is such a gifted offensive mind. And I just see week after week, he just gets guys into space, just wide open into space by doing something that tricks the defense. So you, you have to limit those plays. Obviously, Marvin Mims has the ability to get way down the field, and Spencer Rattler's got a huge arm. I do think, though, that if you can put some pressure on him and fluster him, that big arm can get him into trouble. We've seen some overthrows over the middle of the field. We saw it uh, late in the games against Kansas State, against Iowa State. We've seen some overthrows and some interceptions get him into some trouble. So I think that, uh, you know, Trey Sterling, Colby Harvell, Peel, uh, assuming that he's healthy and is able to suit up. I think those guys roaming the middle of the field need to be on high alert throughout the day because uh, I think the middle of the field is where Spencer Rattler can get a little loose with the football. Yep, I'm with you. All right, decision time. Who are you picking? What's your score? And, and can give me kind of how this game plays out. Oh, are we doing it today? Yeah, let's do it today. Yeah. I, you know, every year in Bedlam, we would call our dads. We might do that on Friday just to get their takes on uh, – That'd be fun. It's always fun to get the olds perspective. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's let's hear it. I mean, uh, I don't think it's any secret who we're going to pick between now and, and Friday. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm. Unless, I'm you don't want to. I, I can give mine. You can save yours until Friday. I'm I'm ready to give mine. No, go ahead. Give yours. Give me just like thirty more seconds to think about it. I'm I'm pretty sure I know where I'm going. Okay. I mean, I again, I I think OSU's defense is capable of holding Oklahoma under thirty. Like I said, I think they'll. I think for a large stretch of this game, they will be in this game and keep them in it. I just think the longer this game wears on, I just I worry about that Ramondre and then that offensive line of Oklahoma just wearing them down throughout this game. And I, and I worry about OSU's offense. I just don't see an avenue in which OSU can score in this game. They can't run the football. I don't expect them to run the football at all with any success in this game. Spencer Sanders dropping back all game is a recipe for disaster against this defensive line. Now the secondary is certainly susceptible to, to get beat. I just worry about him having time to do so. I don't think this game ends up being all that close in the end. I'm picking Oklahoma 35 to 17. I just, this OSU, this OSU offense is just in no position to go win this football game. And as much respect as I have for OSU's defense, 
I just think you can't keep asking them to get stops over and over and over while punting on the other side of the football. I think they're going to wear down. And that's how you get to the lopsided score. I don't think it's a lopsided game in total, but by the end of it, I think you look up and the scoreboard's not that close. So I'll go 35-17. All right. So I've got a little closer than that. I think that the off week helps Oklahoma State. It helps them get healthy. Uh, Also, I think going against Lincoln Riley more so than anybody, you need that extra week to prepare, to watch film, to get everybody ready. And I think this Oklahoma State team will be locked in. That being said, I think that the offensive line deficiencies at the end of the day are just going to end up being too much. So uh, I'm picking it closer. I do think it will be competitive throughout. I do think that in the fourth quarter, we still will not know who's going to win the game. But in the end, I think OU will win it. I'm going to call it 34 to 27, right on that seven point number. Uh, I think OU wins it by a touchdown. So got him covering. Nice. Uh, that's, be, a uh, that's a push. Well, I think that line's going to move back to OU's favor by kickoff. Yeah, I think it probably will too. I think it's going to get back up to 10 with some some late money on it. So, I mean, again, it's Bedlam. Who knows? I mean, no one was giving OSU a shot in 2018 when, when Corndog was throwing the end zone for a two-point conversion. Yeah. Uh, I think – even though Oklahoma State's the higher-ranked team in this game, they are underdogs, so we'll have to see how it plays out. So I, I can't wait to to see it. Uh, let's get to Chris's University Spirit uniform review, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit. You can shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, the Oklahoman, Jenny Carlson, wrote a really good uh, story about Justin Williams, who's the the head equipment guy at OSU. He's been the main collaborator with, with Nike on all of the throwback uniforms, the helmets. He's kind of the guru that has ushered in this, this new era of, of uniform for Oklahoma State. It's now been 10 years, Colby, since they announced they were switching their uniforms. That was the, wow. the off season before 2011. And uh, I love it. I, I've said for years when I was in school and all they wore was white, orange, white, that like, gosh, I wish they would wear black. I wish they would wear a different uniform every year. So as, as much as I can critique combinations and everything else, I just love the fact what OSU's done with their uniforms. It's spectacular. It's something to look forward to every Saturday. And they just keep getting better and better with the helmets, man. The, the helmets have been just unbelievable and so many of them that, you know, variety uh, is what I like. So I, I love what they've done. They've really become kind of the, the Oregon of the, of, this, of the flyover states, which is, was kind of their goal in the, in the start with Nike. Yeah, I think Oklahoma State has been one of the top three uniform schools in the country over the last decade. So I think it's been a, a home run. Whenever you consider everything that Oklahoma State does with these new modern uniforms, and then once every year, once every other year, they, they toss in a throwback, and the throwbacks are very strong. I think Oklahoma State has been at the top of the uniform game nationally. Yep, I, I totally agree. The Oklahoman gave their favorite combinations. <laughs> over the years just to, to pick one and in true Barry Trammell fashion he picks one that I don't think anyone on earth would have picked <laughs> do you know what his favorite combo was it was the 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 gray white gray they wore at A&M the first year in 2011 remember that gray oh, helmet that yeah. was like very it wasn't no. it was like a matte gray almost that looked kind of like a I don't know like an old f-150 or something i don't it was it was not a great look but that was barry's favorite what uh if you had to pick one what's been your favorite over the last 10 years yeah i love me some barry but i can't go along with the gray white gray (laughs) that was just so barry wasn't it (laughs) yeah i think i'm going uh i'm going with the all blacks from the 2011 fiesta bowl that exact combo in the 2011 fiesta bowl was 
clean. It was strong. They obviously won uh, a big game in it. That's that's my favorite, the Fiesta Bowl All Blacks. And we hadn't seen All Black yet to that point. We hadn't right. seen it yet. And I Not remember – I was there uh, for the Fiesta Bowl. I remember walking out on the field and seeing, you know, the offensive line, I think, was warming up. It was the first thing I saw. I was blown away. Like, I'd never seen Oklahoma State wear all black. I mean, even, even back in the early 90s with Pat Jones, they still wore a white helmet. And it was like everything I wanted and more. And the Fiesta Bowl patch on it looked great. Like, it was – they literally looked bigger and meaner wearing the all black. And I was like – Oh, she's going to win this game. This is this is this is unbelievable. They look incredible. They look like Alabama in these things. <laughs> so that that's high on my list. Kyle Porter and I still still tend to think the uh, the tricolor road looks are our favorite uniform. I'll okay. probably say all, all black's probably my favorite. But in terms of road looks, I love the black helmet, the white jersey, and the orange pants. I just I think that's the most quintessential OSU because you got the black and orange with the white. I, I just love that. Yeah, I, I like the tricolors. Uh, they've certainly had some good tricolors. They've had some good tricolors in Norman. Maybe they'll go tricolor this weekend. I'm not sure. By the way, uh, just reading on Twitter one minute ago from Josh Calloway, we were talking, I know on Friday and a little bit earlier, about Austin Stogner and his injury and how important he is to Oklahoma's offense. Lincoln Riley said on the Big 12 teleconference this morning that Austin Stogner is, quote, doing better and is just sore at this point. And it's only Monday, so I expect him to be near full health by Saturday. I don't believe a word. Lincoln or Mike say on injuries that tells me Stogner's yeah. hurting probably not going to play I, I go opposite of what I, coaches say <laughs> that's a good question it could be one of two things if he said he's just sore it means he's really injured and might not play or he's not sore at all he's 100 percent and <laughs> he's going to be ready to light the world on fire well, on do, do you remember Mike uh, Gundy when when Kendall Hunter was expected to play every week and didn't play the entire season pretty much yes he's a Kendall's that's fine he'll, he'll, he should play on Saturday never never came back yeah so I, I just, I'm, I'm jaded when it comes to coaches giving injury updates. So Colby, that'll do it. I mean, let's, we got one more interesting thing. You want to talk some masters or what's your, uh, what's your one interesting thing? Yeah. I mean, my, my one interesting thing to go masters and bring it back to Oklahoma state is another major is in the books and Oklahoma state still Bob Tway. That's it. 1986 PGA Oklahoma state, all the great golfers that have come through the elite program that it's been forever and Oklahoma State, as a university, has one major championship to its name. Really hoping these young guys, Wolf and Hovland, uh, can change that in, in the coming years because Oklahoma State's too good of a golf program to have one major championship to its name. That's hard to fathom that yeah. they only have one. And Oklahoma has one with Todd – was it Todd Hamilton? Yeah, Todd Hamilton, 03. 2004, 2004 British Open. 2004. So, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think Wolf, you know, Wolf collapsed pretty hard at Augusta. He had, a, he got it up to four under and then he finished three over. So he, uh, he shot a 70, not 77, his second yeah. round and, and crashed out and missed the cut. But I expect Victor and, and Matthew to be up there quite a bit. Ricky had a solid showing. He made the cut, didn't contend at Augusta. So hopefully one of those guys can, can pop up and, and win it. So yeah, and by the way, for non-golf fans, all three of them will be in the field in April. The reason Victor Hovland was not in the field this week, uh, he didn't qualify and was not inside the top 50 in April when this tournament should have been played. And that's when the field locked. So that's why Hovland wasn't in the field this week, but Hovland, Wolf, um, and Ricky will all be in the field come April. Yep. No doubt. Uh, what'd you think about DJ winning? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, that was that was my pick. I made a little bit of coin on it. Didn't get rich, but I mean, in the, in his six starts leading up to the Masters, he had two wins, three runner ups, and a sixth. So I mean, he was just playing better golf than anybody else in the world. And now he's got a Masters to add to it in dominating fashion. Um, I mean, when when he's on, he's borderline unbeatable whenever the putts are going in. Yeah, no doubt. And I was disappointed in JT, Justin Thomas. He, yeah. he once again improved his his finishes at Augusta. He's done that the last five, six years in a row. He keeps improving his finish. It seems imminent. He's going to maybe sneak out a green jacket here soon. But he needs to learn how to play like DJ. He tries to bite off more than he can chew, and that's what gets him in trouble. Whereas DJ just hits every fairway, hits every center of the green. He'll take his two putt and he'll make, you know, a couple of 15 footers to get birdies and just take care of the par fives. That's all JT has to do. And I think he can win one. So I, I was disappointed in that. I wanted a DJ versus JT showdown on, on Sunday and, and DJ just kind of, kind of ran away with it, but it's, I'm, I'm glad DJ won though. Cause he's the best player of this generation. He's a top 20 player of all time. In my opinion, with how many wins he has, he just has, he's been snake bit in the majors and I'm all for the all-time legends going to the champions dinner and being masters champions. Like if, if some JM had wanted to be cool story cause he's so young, but I'd much rather have DJ wearing the green jacket and being there every year than, than an unknown or a, or a some JM of, of that type. Yeah. I didn't want one of those other guys to win it. I, I was pulling for DJ. I wanted it to be close and I wanted it to be a battle, but I was pulling for DJ and I'm just glad that he'll end his career with more majors than the likes of Todd Hamilton. And now he has at least as many majors as like Zach Johnson and Angel Cabrera. So golf's weird <laughs> like that, man. Golf really, is weird like that. It really is. So it's Bedlam week. We'll talk again on, uh, on Friday. Cole, we might call our dads and get their takes on Bedlam since we've, we've now had two weeks worth of uh, pre previewing Bedlam pods for us. I'm absolutely in on that. And if you want crazy OSU fan on, then we could call my mom because she's a little more out there than my dad. Okay. Either, either, or your call. Yeah. She's a mega fan. She probably, she would probably give us her score prediction of like 51 to 10 Oklahoma state. Oh, she's on that spectrum. She's on that spectrum. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. Cause I think everyone else is pretty jaded when it comes to Bedlam. It's nice to have a little, uh, a little positivity. My dad just, he hates when coaches go for two before the fourth quarter. He's still, <laughs> he's still like baffled by K-State doing that. So I'm sure he'll give us takes on that. He'll, he, he definitely wants to get after Mike about calling a pump block uh, late against Texas. So uh, we'll, we'll check in with my pops on, uh, on Friday. Sounds like a plan. All right, Colby. We'll talk to you then. Have a good week.